Hold on. No, hold on. No, hold on. 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 I don't speak an ecclesiastical Latin. I took four years of actual real Latin. If I wanted to learn Latin that had been handed down by the Council of Trent in 500 or something, then yeah, I would prefer, I would pr- pronounce it Notra. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And forever today, yours. Oh, forever mine or forever theirs? Everybody's. <laughs> I, I am. I contain multitudes. <laughs> I've, there's so much Nathan to go around. You don't even have to you wait have in no line, idea. folks. Uh, let's talk about football. The same. This is the uh, the Notre Dame review. This is a, our preview, not even the review. It hasn't happened yet. It's still in the future. Uh, we're talking about the Notre Dame Irish. This is uh, the game that was foretold, essentially. This is a big deal. Maybe not as big yeah, of a deal as it has been in the past, but uh, you know, these are my people because I self-identified with the Irish side of my heritage, which is a, a big deal to me. But anyway, uh, yeah, we, we have a lot to talk about with uh, Notre Dame as far as subjective narratives go. There's a lot going around uh, about the past games, the 2017 game, of course, and the 2012 game that never was. We got a lot of stat matchups. Game. Which one? The 1981 game. 1981 the game. Um, and then a lot of stat matchups. We got some notable players to look at and the kind of things we want to see. So do yeah, we, wanna... we have so many. I, I just want to say before we get into this. Yeah. Like just I, I said I, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to reuse material. You never want to go to the well too many times with the same <laughs> joke or line. So I just need you. What I need you to do, because if you're an average cbc listener you are a white a white former red coat who lives in atlanta in a suburb of atlanta so you're probably in the middle of a commute right now so what i need you to do is i just need uh, right now just pause what you're doing i just need you to slap the out of yourself because you are not ready you are not ready for this Mm -mm. like have you ever seen that movie uh the the campaign with zach galifianakis and will ferrell yes that's a highly underrated film it is so good, yeah. But there's a part where they're prepping for a debate, where there's a part where Zach Galifianakis' uh, campaign manager is like, "Are you ready?" And Zach Galifianakis is like, "I'm ready." And then he slaps him, and he's like, "Now you're ready." So slap yourself. <laughs> Get ready. Get ready. This is going to be a big episode, and I apologize. It really is. This is but- this is a this is a big game, and we all need to have our best possible possible fan mojo going, mm-hmm. right? I'm wearing my good socks. I haven't worn my lucky socks yet this year. They sucks, got us through the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I do. They got us through the Rose Bowl. I didn't think we needed them. I might wear them. They're high, and I'm wearing shorts, but I still might wear them. No, bring that energy. Yeah, I, just whatever energy you have. Look, I'm not superstitious, right? I'm not even a little stitious. Mm. I don't think that we can. We, we can't like you know affect the outcome of the game, but we can make this the most hellacious place that those blue blood yuppie motherfuckers have ever walked into, and that's what I need to happen. Now, I'm not saying, like, be damn hospitable. Like, I had a tweet the other day about, like, you can have, you can buy a drink for, like, $2 in Athens, and you can get into a bar with, like, you know, a pack of stamps with a pit with a picture of, like, Martha Washington's face on them, <laughs> right? So there's no reason not to buy one of these Notre Dame people a drink. That's fine. I'm just saying, when we get into that, that whatever you need to do to get your mojo right when we get into that stadium, you need to do it. And mm-hmm. look, and I know this is sacrilege, but, like, maybe drink a little less. I need you in your bed. This is a, this is a, when people say this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I mean, literally like 
this is a marathon. You are running 26 miles. Get ready. <laughs> Hydrate. Night games are a marathon. Oof. Yeah. And don't don't start like don't drink the brown till the sun goes down, man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> if you need a if you need a little tot going into the game, that's fine. I don't know how that feels because I've been at work the last ten years I've been at Georgia Games. But if you need a, if you need a little bit going in, that's fine. Get loose. Get you know, get get lubed up. That's fine. But you need to come correct. We gotta get all the way through the fourth quarter. And that coming correct starts right now as you're listening to this. Focus. All right. So let's hop right into it then. What do you say? Do it. So we got the Winsipedia first, looking right at the Winsipedia, this matchup history. This team has uh, actually only played two times. Georgia has won both times, uh, 1981 to 2017. Um, largest margin of victory is 17 to 10 back in 1981. Uh, we are, of course, the longest win streak. But Notre Dame is one of, as we all know, one of the most celebrated programs in the history of college football. They have seven Heisman winners. They have 122 consensus All-Americans. They have... Uh, an 899 win, 325 uh, loss, 42 tie, all-time record. Best for the, it, It's good for the fourth best uh, record. They have 11 national championships, which is the second best record. Uh, it just goes on and on. Like I don't have to read all these to, for, for everybody to know that Notre Dame's a big deal. And uh, a lot of times that big deal is kind of uh, based off of just kind of the, the, the pedigree of this program. Not necessarily year to year or whatever the program is doing each specific year, but it's just, just kind of steeped in history. There's a lot going on, um, and, and that's why this is a big deal. First time the Notre Dame's ever came, come to Athens, which, you know, when Georgia went to uh, South Bend was a huge deal, and it's just going to keep getting bigger. So um, not only that, this is the first big test we have had. It kind of starts what we've called uh, earlier in the, the show this season it is kind of the gauntlet so this is the first actual game in a long line of games we are going to play against sec teams and ranked teams and depending on how texas a&m and uh, auburn and uh, florida do the next few weeks it, it could become more difficult or it could become easier but no matter what this is kind of the start of our season what does this matchup speak to you as far as when you see like if you were just a regular old Georgia fan, and you saw Georgia and Notre Dame were playing. Like, you've heard of Notre Dame. You've seen Rudy. You know that Samwise Gamgee was that sweet boy that was held up at the end of the game and won the game. So you know Notre Dame. Yeah. So Rudy was offsides. <laughs> Carry on. So <laughs> what what does this kind of spark within you when you think about this game? It's crazy that, you know, the only... When, when I think about this game, I, I'm not immune to the emotion of it. You know, mm -hmm. I think that people see us as sort of statsy people. And certainly, like, I have long professed that stats is a way to think about, you know, life. It's it's not really about numbers. But I think people forget that, you know, at the end of the day, ultimately, we are we, we are two dudes with liberal arts degrees, mm -hmm. right? We are not we are not statisticians. We are not math mathematicians, right? I have I have an English degree. Uh, you have a business degree, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're saying. So, like, <laughs> I actually have a political uh, what, science what, degree. Thank you. Whatever. Not a math degree. <laughs> Obje objectively, liberal not arts a math degrees. degree. Is a, yeah, we have two. We both have liberal arts degrees. So, you know, I, I I eschew narratives in the sense that, you know, ESPN or bad announcers who need to fill time, I eschew those because I think they're gross and they don't really do anything for you. Having said that. The reason that I don't like them is because I love narrative. Mm -hmm. I'm so into narrative. Like I, I think narrative is, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves as humans are what make us human. 
right? The and and even if those stories are deceptions or lies or they're you know distortions or horrible, that is still that is like our sense of self identity is what makes us humanity, and and there's nothing more core to that sense of self identity than narrative. And I say all that to say that like I, I think there's something to the just sort of electricity in the air. Right? This is a big game, and I, and the last time I felt this way in the week leading up to a, f- a game in Athens was when I was uh, here for the 2007 Auburn game. Right mm-hmm. it, there, there's there's just a spark in everybody's step. Right, we, you know, redcoats are getting prepped, and we're having to think about how many people are going to be on campus, and we're having to think about how are we going to get around, what is our schedule going to look like, and it's just all this stuff that you don't normally have to do. So there's just a sense in the air, at least where I am, that. You know, this is a different kind of weekend. This is not just the Auburn game, right? This is not just the South Carolina game. And even though those games are big, they are not like this. And and I think, you know, we can talk about what we think it's going to look like on the field. But I think that feeling of like spark, that's real. You know, even if this game is a blowout, which I don't particularly think it will be. I mean, uh, I might. Even <laughs> if this game is a blowout, it'll still be big, right? Just yeah. the helmet appeal. And, and, you know, like we, we have long been sort of, uh, contemptuous about the sort of sidewalk fan who just looks at the helmets and the uniforms, but look, mm-hmm. I'll be real. Those helmets and uniforms are going to look pretty badass out there, right? Ha- seeing the golden dome come into Georgia and seeing the red, it's going to look cool. Uh, and I'm not immune to that. Like, that's why I, that's why we get into all of this. Right. So I, I, I am jacked. Like I am a hundred, it is, it was currently Tuesday night at nine and I am like talking myself into being jacked the f- up about this like i'm incredibly excited so i you know i can't usually we, we talk about the, the, these narratives and i'm just like well that's bullshit. but like no nah, that's real now man that is real let's talk a little bit about uh kind of the the most recent history of this game so we played notre dame back in 2017 we went to south bend can you talk a little bit about your experience briefly and how incredible that was or what yeah. kind of things happened then that you think notre dame is going to try to answer based off of that game and experience that well i mean i think it's going to be more about uga answering because frankly you could not ask for a more pleasant group of people for better hosts but like genuinely their band were just their band was so gracious they let us on tours they were so polite their their campus is the Aristotelian idea of a campus. And I mean that in the very literal sense of like, it kind of looks like the Academy at Athens, but just stuck onto like, you know, a field in Indiana. It is gorgeous. It is beautiful. The, the game day experience, you know, we obviously there is a pretty big meme at this point about how Notre Dame's home, home fans kind of are not that much to, to hear when in terms of getting loud, I think they're, they're, uh, they're, what should we call it? fans are actually their student fans are actually really good but their general student section is pretty good but like i think really the pressure if anything my experience from last time tells me the pressure is on us right i mean look get rowdy get weird but these people are so nice man and and they were unfailingly polite to us and we owe them if if southern hospitality is anything other than just bullshit which i think it is we owe them to be polite and i mean and the experience i mean Gosh, man, their their stadium is so nice. Their student center is so nice. Like everything on that campus is just like wow. This is like um, it's not just like nice, and it doesn't just speak of money. There's just a level of care taken on that campus that you just don't see in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very excited about it. I'm also very excited about the next like two or three bullet points we have here. If if folks haven't actually seen this yet, this is really exciting. So 
I'll, I'll talk a little bit about stadium and what's going on and, and what you might actually see on Saturday. This is not insider information. This is just kind of what I've seen in the news and what we might be expecting. So this is for sure the biggest game ever in Sanford Stadium. They are actually adding bleachers and extra seating to the West End. So it will be the biggest uh, and best attended game in Sanford Stadium, which is very exciting. Another thing I saw was a a video from a news outlet about the new lights. Will you talk a little bit about the lights and what we could see? Yeah. So he, or apparently we, I say he, apparently we installed LED lights for the first time. Um, And I guess, you know, LEDs, if you know anything about electronics, LEDs have just not recently, but at least at the industrial scale, just now become affordable enough to just get, you know, thousands of them that would be needed to light a stadium. And the consequence of that is that we now can do, you know, instantly turn off the lights. You know, the old halogen lights, I think they're halogen lights. They, um, the old halogen lights, they are, they take a long time to warm up. Sometimes they take like 15, 30 minutes, you know, so you can't turn them off in the middle of the game because you can't get them back on for another hour or whatever. So these LED lights, they can be instantly turned off and they can also change colors. So apparently the plan is to like dim a lot of the major lights in the stadium and turn all of the lights that are on red. And I, I'm assuming that they are going to do that for the Krypton fanfare in the fourth quarter. And I could not be more jacked up about that if I try. There was a video I saw of just they they made all of the LED lights like blood red, blood red yeah. meaning yeah, like Georgia yeah. red, but the whole stadium just like glowed and it was so cool. And it must have been like the middle of the night for this to happen. The next piece is a lot of people are talking about the blackout. It could be a blackout. People tease the blackout every single year. Anytime we ever have a night game, they're like, are we going to black this out? Will you talk a little bit about those that may be uninitiated regarding what what why we don't black out and will we black out is it finally time uh well we don't black out because the first blackout was awesome and it happened in 2007 and it was very much like you had to be there a moment where when not like in a hipster way you had to be there but the feeling in the game and not knowing if they were going to come out in the black uniforms and all the rumors and the leaks coming out of butt smear all of it was just such an electric atmosphere and then we did it again in 2008 and we got our and it was very, very, very artificial. And I, I felt kind of contrived. And we got our asses whipped by Alabama in 2008. So that's why people don't want to do the blackout. On it, My kind of general take on it is that it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you yeah. wear black if you want. Like, whatever. We're not blacking out the stadium because most people aren't going to do it. But if you feel like that's going to, like, get your mind in the right place to be the best fan you can be, like, you know, go hard. I'm all about it. But, you know, in terms of is the blackout actually going to happen? No. And does it matter like to the outcome of the game? Absolutely not. Right. So, and, and also like Kirby, I think Kirby would consider that kind of like fake juice. Right. I think Kirby's like, we're red, beat their ass. Right. And then like, we can talk later about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what other subjective narratives may you be hearing out of this game? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, there's the, always the kind of contrarian thing. I think the general consensus seems to be, I mean, the line is 13 and a half and that's a pretty big line for Vegas for a, a top 10 matchup. Mm-hmm. And the consensus seems to be that UGA is going to win this game. There are, I think a lot of sort of sharks who are looking to get on the other side of it. And some people in the betting industry that want to go against it because they think, you know, it's a good bet. Like it, it represents a high value. 
so there is, I think, a little bit of Twitter sort of like, well, all of us think that we're going to win, but here's some reasons why the UGA won't win. And there are certainly reasons that we can talk about statistically where UGA has to think about things. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, that's the big one I'm saying, I'm seeing is there's always like narrative, counter narrative. And I think the counter narrative is like pretty strong on Twitter right now. Um, I would not bet this game at 13 and a half. I don't have that much confidence. This feels like a 10 point win to me. And it also just feels like I think Vegas knows that everyone thinks that we're going to win and so they're they're trying to like sucker people in to betting it right like yeah. i think vegas thinks we'll win by 10 points but the like random sidewalk fan is like oh yeah we're gonna whip their ass and we very well might win their with their ass but only like win by 11 or something so let's talk about how that ass gets whipped what do you think yeah 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 let's absolutely. move into stats so we have a whole bunch of stats to talk about this game you've taken uh the liberty of making a whole lot of new visual uh, displays and graphs and things. And when does your post come out for this game on uh, SB Nation? I think Wednesday, either Wednesday or Thursday. <clears throat> so what we have in front of us now, and it's kind of, it's purely based off of what everything Nathan has, uh, Nathan and the folks at SB Nation Analytics have put together. But these are some notable stats that we think are going to kind of help us illustrate or pre-illustrate rather what this game may look like uh, before it actually happens. And so, what we're going to look at first, we're going to see UGN offense personality footprint and kind of what we've done in the past and kind of what it's uh, kind of aggregated to. And then we'll look at Notre Dame on offense and kind of see where the holes are and how those might be filled and in what way. So just going down the UGA on offense stats real quick, we have uh, UGA's yards per play are 8.69, uh, good for a third place rank in the nation against Notre Dame's defense, 4.97. They're, they're holding teams to for a rank good for 54th, uh, yards per play rushing is 7.75 for UGA. Good for a fifth place rank, uh, Notre Dame's 5.49, good for a 108th rank, uh, UGA's yard per pa- or yards per play in passing is 9.96, good for a 10th place rank, and Notre Dame is holding teams to 4.21, good for an 11th place rank. So hit me with some 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 hot takes or some some cold, cold takes for uh, yards per play real quick. I mean, I think these numbers will tell you the initial story that is going to come is going to come out of this game when UGA has the ball, which is that. Notre Dame is very good at defending the pass and may well shut down UGA's passing attack. Unfortunately, they are not very good at defending the run. And also, unfortunately, that would be a problem for them and has been a problem for them, uh, you know, against lesser teams than, uh, than UGA, like New Mexico and Louisville both ran on them. So, but against a team like UGA that, you know, I think kind of unequivocally has the best rushing offense in the nation. Uh, I think that, that is a giant liability. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting. Like this, these numbers are so clear that the coaches are going to know them, but it also might not matter. Like I, I have a feeling like my initial take on this game. And uh, I guess you'll hear after this, we had an interview, we have an interview coming up and our guest talked about how, you know, we Kirby wants to run the ball and it makes sense for him to run the ball here. And so it may be that Brian Kelly is going to know that we're going to run the ball and he might just not be able to do anything about it, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, they have a very talented sec- secondary who can play well and run support. But if you have to, if you have a liability on your defense and you have to overcommit extra men into the box or out of the box, that always makes the other side worse, right? And so, unfortunately for Notre Dame, UGA is just a good offense. 
you know it w- i did their radar chart earlier today and uga's radar chart is like a circle um and you can look on sb nation soon to see what that is and <laughs> i'll explain i'll talk all about it but i i just think the contours of this game are kind of set right it uga is wants to run the ball notre dame knows they want to run the ball it may not matter right and if we get into the success rate that's even more clear right mm-hmm. like so rush success rate 61 percent for uga good for first in the nation Rush success rate for Notre Dame surrendered 40%, good for 69th in the nation. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. So, I mean, just that just that right there is, I mean, that number doesn't look good for them at all. But then if you look at pass success rate, 60, 61% good for 4th in the nation for UGA, and then 26% good for 6th in the nation for Notre Dame. Like, where Notre Dame has strengths, UGA also has strengths. But where you, Notre Dame has weaknesses... This team does not have a lot of weaknesses, especially mm-hmm. when we have the ball. So I, I think we we're gonna we're gonna obviously go way deeper into it than these stats, but like at the end of the day, ultimately, like if they can't start the run, they're gonna lose. Mm-hmm. If we if we if we go in here and we average what they're averaging with surrendering, their their average yards per play rush right now is five point four nine. If we average just five point four nine r- yards per rush, we're gonna win the game. I, I like I, it's hard for me to uh, you know short of injuries or luck or you know just bad turnover luck or whatever it's hard for me to say to see it happening any other way please don't turn off the podcast because we have more to say about it but that's my biggest takeaway and these numbers are so stark in places it's just obvious right like opportunity rate which is the the percentage of the time that you give up more than five yards in a rush is 59 percent of the time for uga mm-hmm. more than half the time that a uga running back touches the ball if they go for more than five yards so there that's against teams that albeit bad defenses but that's against teams who you know the defense uh, their defensive weakness is not running right and then on the other side, Notre Dame is surrendering an opportunity rate of 53%, good for 100th on the nation. And I will just note that like these carries were not coming against Murderer's Row. They came against New Mexico and Louisville. And yeah, small sample size and all of that, but like Louisville was getting good yardage on or mm-hmm. getting yardage of them. And then New Mexico State, despite being a blowout, like they ran the ball a little bit. I, oh, and yeah. so, so sometimes the stats picture is just so easy that when you see it, you you shouldn't second guess it. And I like we we should go deeper. And you know, there, we always want to try to prove the counterfactual around here and talk about why Notre Dame could win this game. But at the end of the day, if it operates the way it looks like it's going to operate, this is going to be a very Georgia win. Where it's like, well, it looks like Georgia's going to do this because they're just more talented. Yep, they did it. <laughs> you know, like I, I mean, I. I not worry, but I wonder if like, I, I don't know that it'll ever be a- a- anticlimactic to have a big win, but I wonder if it'll feel a little anticlimactic when it's just like, oh, okay, we ran the ball. Oh, we ran the ball to the other side. Oh, we ran the ball at the middle. Yeah. We ran the ball again. Jake Fromm hit like a 40-yard play action pass to George Pickens. Oh, we ran the ball again. <laughs> okay. And like, that's just the game, right? And yeah. I, I think they'll score on us. Like, we, we can talk about defensively, like where there are some, there are some uh places i think that they could score but uh, at the end of the day ultimately i think that is the general contour of the game so last few pieces for uga offense uh we have explosive rate uh, explosiveness rate uh uga is 23 percent of the time they're they're hitting explosive plays that's good for eighth in the nation notre dame's 14 percent against explosive plays, 76 in the nation so dead center essentially uh explosive for rush uga 19 percent of the time uh they have 
rushing plays that are explosive. That's good for fifth against Notre Dame's 13% on defense. That's good for 101st. Uh, explosive passes for UGA, 29%, ninth in the nation against Notre Dame's 15%, 36th in the nation. So a lot better on the pass than they are against the rush, of course. So this isn't if you look at all these as like a kind of like a personality stat we don't necessarily know which way UG is going to go because they they looks like they have a lot of flexibility and a lot of uh things they could be doing in this game but without knowing obviously since you don't have the playbook in front of you what UJ is going to do what do you think they might do right out the gate based on these stats alone i think so you know like like we just said the contours are uh, we're gonna run the ball Mm-hmm. I think that Kirby wants to run man ball. So we're going to run some inside zone. We're going to run ISO. But I also think that Coley has shown us that he likes to attack the outside. And he's been running not a counter action. Someone sent me an email. We got a really good email. Give me two seconds so I get this terminology right. So I've got this email up. So, And this is something that I've kind of put in the bank uh, until the Notre Dame game. Because I, when we talk about the contours of the game, this is when the first time it really matters. And something that I talked about in, Van- in Vanderbilt that I, I kept saying that like UGA keeps running the counter action because th- they were doing this thing where like Jake would like fake a hard step and then we would go opposite the direction of the line. And we got a really good email a couple of weeks ago from this guy named Jeremiah Stevens. Um, so thank you. You're an awesome man. Uh, get on the Patreon so we can talk about it. Just saying. Uh, so he, I'm going to read like just his thing where he's talking about this specific run play because I think it's really instructive because what we're going to see a lot of. Okay. So he says, it's something that Alabama has made good use of in recent years and it has a semi-official name in coaching circles. It's called, if it's often called bash or back away because it's the RB, not the QB that takes the outside track away from the inside zone blocking. I like your impulse, Nathan, to call it a counter though, because it does tend to serve that role in an offense that also runs a standard inside zone ring, which just for the record, UJ does run a lot. And even more, and that was my editorializing, any more so if the, Q, the QB isn't a dynamic runner. The call requires to, the, the read player to respond opposite to how he reads to respond to a standard zone read if he wants to avoid letting a dynamic RB get on the edge with lead blockers and ahead of steam. It's the right hook to the standard inside zone's reads left jab. Against a standard zone replay we might run, the defense best bet is probably to take away the RB development and then scrape LB or safety support to, the, to outside to tackle number 11. The, EMO, the EMOL or read player will have to squeeze inside or at least slow play the read. On this play, in order for the MLL or read player to take away the RB's path away, he would really have to launch himself on an outside contained path right from the staff because RBs are normally really fast and because the RB is already in motion at the mesh point. A slow play doesn't work against DeAndre Swift with two steps of momentum across your face. On a standard inside zone read, the number one, the outside runner, the QB, is standing still at the mesh, so a slow play approach is more valid. The actual play makes the read on this call pretty easy. It's give unless the email gets really, really wide, really fast. Bash runs are a great fit for Georgia's personnel because it gets the numbers advantage reading one player in the defense up front without much risk of the read forcing Fromm to be the ball carrier. It gets the ball into the hands of players like Swift and Cook, and it keeps number 11 upright. I'm a big fan. Okay, so the reason I just read that entire two-paragraph thing of, of like really inside baseball like scheme stuff mm-hmm. is because I think it's actually really relevant to how this game is going to go. I think that that bash motion or back away motion is going to be something we run a lot because the normal response to a dominant run game, especially when you know that your linebackers aren't great on the run or that your defensive line is not great on the run, is to start scraping players into the box, right? So you start dropping your, you start having your safeties drop at the snap or, or run forward into the box at the snap, or you just start like just putting your safeties in the box and playing one high coverage. Now, one of the ways that we can take advantage of that is in the past game where I think Jake Fromm 
if nothing else, we know Jake Fromm can throw the counter, the counter punch, right? He's a really mm-hmm. good counter puncher. Like when we have the running game going and he can get in a clean pocket off of a play action movement, he's, he's deadly. So I think, I think that that is one way we will counter punch off of the run game. But I also think forcing the read player and forcing linebackers to scrape is like a really good, it's a thing that we want this, we want to happen in this game because so if you think about two things, right? So who is going to have to scrape when they're when they're uh, pulling the safeties up? The two people that have to scrape are that inside linebacker and the safety who's dropped into coverage. And when we talk to, when we talk about the relevant, you know, the most important players on these teams, what you'll see is that you know safety is probably the strength of Notre Dame's team, right? And so I think we're going to see a lot of that bash motion because I think it really properly sets up what we want to do we want we actually kind of want safeties in the box because even a very good safety is going to have a very bad angle on an outside run when deandre swift has the ball in his hands Mm -hmm. right so we want to we want to run and i know that it's not a counter motion but like we want to run like you know lowercase c counters to our inside plays right and so once if we can get people to you know, run blitz basically into the box. We need to have counter punches out of that. And one of the things that makes me feel good about this game is that I think James Coley has a feel for when to counter punch. You know, sometimes Jim Chaney, and I really should stop just beating this dead horse here. <laughs> this very big dead horse. Anyway, I, you know, I got to stop. I got to stop body, stop body shaming, shaming Jim Chaney. Yeah, I'm a big man and that's not appropriate. Okay. No more, no more fat shaming Jim Chaney. Here's a new thing Jim Chaney can't call plays for. There you go. All right, carry on. I've actually met him once. He's a really nice guy. I just, I hate the way he calls the game. Anyway. And that's a fair assessment. One last UGA offensive stat that I think is going to be really important in this game. Uh, The one single stat that I've read so far that actually swings in Notre Dame's favor is have a great allowed. UGA on offense is allowing 11% of the time have a great or have it plays to affect their game, which is good for 12th in the nation, which is great. Notre Dame, however, has a havoc rate of 30%, which is good for third in the nation. They have an outstanding linebacker core. They have awesome defensive backs, awesome secondary, which we'll get into when we get into our notable players piece. But how do you think, or who do you think, is going to get through this team with this uh, this UG offensive line? Will this be a big test, or, or what do you think? I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, yes, because they do have some very good defensive ends. The, the defensive tackle is not the strength of their team, but they do have some good defensive end. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, that a lot of those numbers are not inflated, but affected by the fact that they have a very good secondary. Mm -hmm. Pass breakups and interceptions count as havoc plays as well. Yes. The secondary, they have three interceptions, seven pass deflections, one forced fumble, three forced fumbles. Well, I am concerned about havoc rate in Notre Dame's defense. I, I do think that their havoc rate is coming from different places where we want to put the ball, right? Mm-hmm. So on the year, uh, Notre Dame's secondary has three interceptions, sevens pass defense, one first fumble, and three fumble recoveries. Alternatively, they only have four sacks on the year. By comparison, UGA, which is a paltry 20 and or is in the top 20 of havoc rate, but is not that high, ha- currently has 12 sacks on the year. So you know, a lot of the things that you'd be looking for if you were worried about the defensive line affecting the game would be sacks and tackles for loss, right? And so the fact that you're seeing fewer of those and more of just like interceptions happening is actually a pretty good, it's a pretty good sign for us. And if only because like we will, we, we can be effective at running away from their defense. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and sometimes like sometimes you win an offensive defensive matchup just by putting people in the place where their best player isn't. If you think about when we had DeAndre Baker last year, most of the time when we surrendered big plays, it was because they just threw away from DeAndre Baker. Do you want to hop into some Georgia on defense, Notre Dame on offense notes? Yes. All right. So we'll read that through the yards per play real quick. Notre Dame on offense, 7.8 yards per play. That's good for 11th ranked in the nation against UGAs on defense, 3.84. Good for 10th rank in the nation. Yards per play on rushing for Notre Dame, 5.31. It's good for 49th. UGAs is 3.83 against and good for 33rd of the nation. Uh, Notre Dame's passing, 11.29. Pretty good. Uh, fourth in the nation against UGAs, allowing 3.83, uh, which is the same exact number, which I find really funny. Uh, on passing, it's good for sixth in the nation. So what do you see in there? I mean, this is something where, you know, and I'm going to look at this in my Radar Charts article tomorrow. Mm -hmm. This is something where there are places where uh, Notre Dame can take advantage of, if not the holes in UGA secondary, then at least, or the holes that UGA has, then at least the, the, I guess, less than superlative parts of UGA's defense. In particular, you know, to this point this year, UGA has actually been worse at defending the rush than the defending the pass. Uh, and even though, you know, Notre Dame's, at least on a yard per play basis, they don't have as many, they're not as good ranking wise as UGA's mm-hmm. defensive rushing. The 51% rush success rate actually kind of scares me. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're ranked that that's one of the few like substantive real numbers where UGA is ranked below Notre Dame. And actually, if we look at UGA's uh, UGA playing defense against Notre Dame, but on like a per play basis on a more situational down, one of the one of the places that UGA is actually at its biggest disadvantage oh, did, in yeah. terms of it's fine of, you know, s- statistically is that you uh, Notre Dame's success rate on first down is superlative. They're in the top 10 teams in the, na- in the nation and UGA's success rate on defending to, uh, third down is just average. Well, it's above average, but not as good. It's at, uh, in the mid 30s. So that that is something that not just in the run game but also just in the early down standard down game where ian book can get outside of the pocket where they can run or pass where they can throw to claypool that's sort of a down that i would be concerned about mm-hmm. one of the things i'm looking at is in the first quarter what does notre dame do on first downs because in pretty much every other situation uga has the advantage right or at least breaks even if we can get them, if we can hold them to some second and sixes or second and eights, we're going to be in really, really good shape, <laughs> right? But if they if they are second and four every time, then, you know, it's not, I'm not saying we're definitely going to lose the game at that point, but it is something that is somewhat concerning. So the next bit of Notre Dame offense would be getting us into the opportunity rate. So Notre Dame's opportunity rate is 50% of the time they're getting the yards they need. That's good for 50th in the nation. Very convenient. Uh, Against UGA is 32% on defense. Good for fourth in the nation. Stuff rate was actually something that I looked at uh, that that wasn't actually in the UGA notes, but I found notable for the Notre Dame on offense. They are dead center, 20% good for 73rd, and UGA is also dead center, 18% good for 74th. So I'm kind of curious how we think that's going to come uh how that's going to change after this game and what you think might happen based off of what you've just kind of seen of these teams uh so far in these last three games five games total yeah you know actually during this recording uh somebody sent me nick Toomey, who is he of recent uga twitter fame he sent me a gif of of notre dame defending against uh, an outside run concept against uh or well no it was actually a little flare pass against new mexico and 
I think that is also kind of relevant on offense for on Notre Dame on offense with stuff rate in the sense that it seems to me that Notre Dame has a very good senior laden offensive line that is certainly good enough to never have plays blow up mm-hmm. I don't know that they necessarily have the team speed to you know spring explosive plays so you know it may be that we are you know pretty consistently giving up three or four yards on first down and as as frustrating as that would be I'm not sure that they have the speed to turn those into like 15 or 20 yard games. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so I, my biggest concern with this game is that they get a rushing attack established with Ian book and then he can run or pass Ian book when he can run and he can get outside of the pocket. He can look really, really good, but he also at times when he has to just stand in the pocket and like deliver on a like normal platform he he can look human, right? And he and there's a reason that, you know, despite how much better he's been than the guy that he beat, he's not being mentioned as like a top ten draft pick, right? He is not a prototypical NFL passer by any stretch of the imagination. Now that doesn't mean he can't hurt you. He absolutely can, right? If he can force your defense to be in the wrong place and he can run outside and he can throw and run on the move and, you know, he can kind of get a rhythm going, he can really carve you up. I just don't know. And I and I think he's going to hurt us. I think we're going to have times where we're like, Ian Book. Uh, at least that's what I'm going to be saying. Don't get near me near during a game or really in person at all when you don't have Justin around to bleep me out. If you are easily <laughs> offended by cursing, you know. But it's a it's a good point that you bring all this up about Ian Book being pretty deadly when he kind of has control of the game, because looking back on games last year, and I know we don't have the same personnel and defense, but looking back on games last year, I feel like this team studies really well, especially when it comes to situations like that. Like for instance, we, you know, in the national championship game and uh, the SEC championship game, we made Tua somewhat ineffective until they had to switch uh, the national championship game, switch to Tua and the opposite, of course, in the SEC championship. And so I wonder, I imagine this team will come well prepared. And I wonder how much of Notre Dame's scheme up to this point has been kind of hidden just for that kind of preparation uh with georgia preparing in the way that 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 they have prepared in the past you know what i mean yeah and i mean and that 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 is 100 percent true i think we talked about this in our interview that segment that we'll have later on you know we i think still have kind of ptsd about defending the the mobile quarterback and while tua has hurt us and jalen has hurt us for the most part our speed is such that we can make up mistakes Mm. right we can if a guy is out of position and like if Tyson Campbell gets out of position, he runs like a damn four two. And ultimately at the end of the day, yeah, sure. That might turn into a 10 yard run, but it's hard to turn a 50 a 50 yard run against this, a team with this much speed. So I, I think he's going to hurt us. Yeah. I think that we're going to be frustrated by it and he's going to be their main offense. But I also think that if that is it, if they can't find a second, if they can't find that counterpunch we were talking about when UJ is on offense, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Because the thing that I, I think the sort of one of the game flow things I think is probably going to happen in this is that we're going to have just a hundred, like we're going to just have five or six, like six minute drives where we run it like 13 times. Yeah. And I think we're going to throw more this game. Actually, I got a really good stat from uh, Chad Peltier of stat Ooh, fame. Hit me with it. Who is... He's basically the guy that is the reason that we have all the good stats that we have. Everybody's like, oh, Nathan, you're making all these stats. And it's like, uh, actually, I am. <laughs> I am turning these stats into tables. So you're let's but only down. a vessel. Yeah, I, I am but a vessel. 
basically he went ahead and looked at the run rate, the run rate, the rush rate of UGA, but basing it on standard downs and passing downs. Okay. So standard downs are downs where you would typically run, right? So this is like first and 10, second and six, thick stuff like that, right? Passing downs would be more stuff like third and eight, first and 15, stuff like that, okay? On passing downs this year, uh, UGA has run 64.8%, or on standard downs this year, UGA has run 64.8% of downs, which is actually only 50th in the country. So I think one of the game flow things you're going to see is that we will be passing more than you expect. It might be pretty close to half and half, right? But I think there are also probably going to be a couple of drives, especially in the second half, and especially if it's close-ish at halftime, where we just take the ball and just run it like six times. And and I think that that is one of the things that actually like one of the best ways to defend a mobile quarterback is just to keep his ass off the field, mm-hmm. right? And so I I wonder if we, once he gets going, we might just try to take the ball out of his hands. I think there's a world wherein this is like an eight or nine point game. And the way UGA put, puts it in the ground is just by playing like four minute offense. Right. You mm-hmm. know, just for the last two quarters. Mm-hmm. Right. Just really eating up clock, running the ball, throwing, you know, to keep the keep the secondary honest, but just making them prove it physically. And I hate, hate, hate that sort of like coach, like man ball mentality. Like you just got to be stronger. Blah, blah, blah. I hate that. Right. I think it, it's it's all the worst parts of the fo- about football without any of the bad parts about football. Mm-hmm. But strategically, it is sometimes appropriate to just run it until the other team quits. I think that this game is ultimately going to be decided by the fact that UGA has an offensive line that is, is capable of making teams with a way better defense than Notre Dame quit. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, if this game gets close, you know, in my last I don't want to plug myself too much, but in my last SB Nation <laughs> article, I talked about how. You know, anecdotally to me, one of the things that great teams do, not good teams do, is that they have a side, they have a part of their team, either defense or offense, that they can go to in a close game. And this is unequivocally a team that can run the damn ball. And it, I think that there is a world in which UGA gets up a little in this game and just breaks their spirit. If you'll recall, there's a, one of my favorite UGA memories is that there was a relatively close South Carolina UGA game. I think this was the second to last it was the second to last time that spurrier played at uh sanford stadium wherein uga got the ball back with like seven minutes left mm-hmm. up like one score and did not score but just ended the game on that drive the last notable statistic on when notre dame is on the offense is they have a great allowed something that right now it, it doesn't really tell us a lot of what's going to happen but i am kind of curious of how this might change after this game so Notre Dame on offense, uh, they, they allow 18% of Havoc rate, uh, which is good for 86 in the nation. UGA is at 18% uh, at this point in the season for Havoc rate on defense, which is good for 70th in the nation. Still better than Notre Dame's 86th, but not necessarily notable by any means just on its own. But I am kind of curious if this might be the game that we start seeing all of the fruits uh, of Kirby's have a great labor, so to speak. What do you, What do you kind of have to add to that? Yeah, I mean, this is a team with a good a good offensive line, you know. So to some extent, you cannot expect that we're going to come out of this with four, uh, with four sacks on the day, mm-hmm. right? But I I also think that you know we might see. I don't know how good their speed is outside of Claypool, especially in the in the wide receiving core, and so I think you 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 might see you know 
uh, a pick or uh, a couple of pass breakups or, you know, they throw to Eric, Spo- Eric Stokes, who was on Claypool, and then he comes down with the pick, right? So I, I, I think that we'll have pretty good uh, havoc rate in this game, but I also think that it might be predominantly in the secondary because this is an offensive line that's kind of anchored by its tackles. Now, it is certainly not the offensive line they had in 2017. So, I mean, I, I think that we might have like to this to this point in the year, we have been causing 18 percent havoc plays. I could see us hitting that like right on the nose. I don't really see it going up. We've talked about the stats. We talked about the a lot going on. Do you want to talk about any further on any of these notable players? I, I know we've talked pretty extensively about Ian Book at this point. We've mentioned Claypool. Uh, what have you seen from Claypool that might indicate that he may be something to be worried about? I mean, he's a good wide receiver, man. I mean, he's a senior. He runs good routes. He gets good separation. He's got good hands. Uh, he, number eighty-three. He's definitely mm-hmm. the one to watch. Yeah. On the year, uh, on the year where he's sitting at nine receptions for one hundred ninety yards, twenty-one point one uh, yards average, one TD, a long of thirty-seven. So, you know, I mean, not pedestrian, but certainly not like uh, they've only played two games to this yeah. point, right? So, and and they were both to some extent blowouts. So. He is someone you have to worry about. He has good speed. I'm imagining he's going to be seeing a lot of Eric Stokes, and I'm imagining he's going to be seeing a lot of bracket coverage because he is, I think, their best wide uh, wide receiver by a pretty good margin. Um, I the 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 other players I want to point out are all on um, they're all on defense. You know, Notre Dame has, I would say, even counting Alabama, the best uh, secondary we're going to see the whole year, mm-hmm. and they're just deep. They've got the the best safeties that we have we've we're going to face this year uh jalen elliott and aloha gilman jalen elliott i mean they're just both so damn tall they look like like tight ends playing mm-hmm. safety and and they just look really good sean crawford's a really good uh, quarterback cornerback they also have troy pride who is very good i will the ones that i i had in the notes there those are the ones that have the the best stat lines right this moment yeah and that are contributing to that that stat line that i had uh, the one that we haven't spoken of is they, they do have a, a pretty decent linebacking group. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the name. And I'm going to butcher it, but I, I believe uh, the to the best of my abilities, his name is Asmar Bilal. He's already got 10 solo tackles in the season, uh, 12 total tackles. But he's what I'm worried about with him is that he is super, super good at tackling in space and running sideline to sideline. And so that could be one of our biggest woes against our running backs because we, we've just talked pretty extensively about how weak they are to the rush but this is one of the players that is actually going to be most effective against the rush uh if he's able to get there then the secondary is going to be able to clean up um is what i'm worried about right right um yeah you know i don't know what our explosive rush rate is going to look like against this team yeah it's going to be weird and it might be different than what we're expecting or even seen um but it could be good you know but that's yeah. just somebody else to look out for is how do we yeah. play against him? How do we shut him down? Because typically UGA is pretty good when it comes to playing against a single skill player on a team. This is a team with a lot of skill players. Sure. But they're going to be able to shut off portions of the field with certain plays and pretty effectively. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what we want to see. What do you want to see? I wrote, <laughs> I typically don't write things like this in the notes, but I just wrote, uh, I, I want UGA to play an offensive 
a dominant offensive game, and I wrote UGA running backs to tear that ass up is literally what I wrote here, and I I that do want to see that happen. Something that I would say. That yes. is something you would say. That's not very on brand for me, but I feel that way. I want it to happen, and I need it to happen in order to believe that that's the way this goes. Um, <laughs> what did he just say? The world's only stats focused podcast recorded in front of a live Discord audience is true. I need to stop reading the notes as they come through. Um, yeah, I know. The next piece is for this offense to play a dominant game. And why I think the wide receivers need to be uh, beating the backs downfield and actually making separation. Something I mentioned in the last episode was that I felt like our wide receivers weren't getting off the blocks quick enough. And that's something that worries me going into a big game like this. And I'm hoping they were just holding on to uh, enough energy you know, later on in the season, not giving enough tape and also just kind of not giving it 100% since they didn't need to necessarily. Uh, and so I'm, I'm wanting to see more plays like that. We saw a lot of really awesome stuff in the last two season or last two games, but I want to see more of that going forward, especially in this game. What are some things you want to see? Um, I agree. I want to see us beat that ass with running backs. Um, I think that I think we're going to have a dominant run game and I think we should. And uh, you know, the, the big things I'm looking for is, you know, if we don't have a dominant run game, that's concerning. Now I'm not saying we're going to have eight yards of pass against or eight yards of rush against these guys. That's probably just not going to happen, but you know, uh, we should look good. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I want to see for us defensively is what is Notre Dame's early success on first down? How many times in the first quarter, especially is Notre Dame, Notre Dame. I don't want to get into that <laughs> rant again. How many times in the first quarter is Notre Dame on offense, you know, having a having, you know, second and five, basically? How many times are they running successful play, in particular in the running game? I think especially early in the game, if we can prevent that from happening, we can probably like we can probably just like shut this game down pretty good. That's my biggest thing. You know, I mean also I I, I know you have this in the notes here, but yeah. like I Right now, our special teams are, they're good by the benefit of they just haven't made any mistakes, right? We haven't seen any like 60 yard field goal from Hot Rod. He's mm -hmm. just dead consistent. He does whatever you ask. And if we just get that, that's a huge deal. Yeah. Right. If we just get like, oh, like they didn't do anything wrong and they hit all their kicks. Uh, totally fine. We don't need, we don't, I mean, I don't think we need like a big, a big return to run this, uh, you know, to run to run the score up pretty good we just need to not make mistakes yeah. and in general i would just say like if we can win the turnover battle like okay obviously if you win the turnover battle yeah you're in good shape right but just in general if we can just play kind of mistake free ball if we can not have a lot of dumb turnovers like you're gonna have some turnovers that's fine but just not a lot of dumb ones if we cannot have you know somebody do something stupid that gives a couple of 15 yard penalties up like if we can just avoid that kind of stuff i think we got a pretty good chance here uh, my biggest concern with this game is just that, you know, the outer the outer quartile of the bell curve, the tail of the bell curve where we lose this game, we're going to start seeing those signs early, I think. We're going to see some weird fluky plays go against UGA. We're going to see them get established on first down. And if they can't do that, I really do think we have the talent to just bury them, right? So that that's the biggest thing is like, can we play clean? And then can we do all of the stuff that you just said? Mm-hmm. So let's have some over-unders. We have some over-unders here. Do you want to go through them real quick? Yeah, sure. I've got one and you've got three. Here, I can write one more. You hit me. A hit couple me of mine are I'll actually respond. from uh, other listeners. So my first one is, and this is, like, I think, I've been thinking about the game and how it might play out. And depending on how much hot rod we see could mean 
one of two things. If there's a lot more hot rod points, it means that we're, our offense is getting stopped more often, and we probably have more things to worry about later in the season. If we have a lot less hot rod points, it means that hot rod gets to rest that sweet, sweet leg of his, and our offense is playing on fire, which is fantastic. Um, over under, with all that being said, over under hot rod, 10.5 points on the day. In my mind, that looks either uh, like yeah, three so. field goals and an extra point which is would I'm, be the worst case scenario <laughs> i'm gonna say under yeah i don't think i don't think we're gonna get stopped that much so if i move that to 10 points does that change your opinion um not really actually okay then I, just I, the sake- I, I think he might have like seven okay for the sake of being different, I'm going to hit even uh, and move the, okay. the total to 10 points instead of 10.5. Okay. Next one is over under our sweet, sweet boy, Nolan Smith. Are we going to see more havoc out of Nolan Smith or are we going to see a kind of a team game? Um, the over under is one and a half havoc plays from Nolan Smith. Over. Yeah. What yeah, do you, what do you think it, it look, comes so, yeah. in the form of sacks or pass deflections? Just sacks. I mean, I think he might have a pass deflection, but I think he'll have a sack. And I think between having a sack and then cleaning up a run play, especially one that goes to the outside, if mm-hmm. they're throwing to the outside, I think he can have a sack and a tackle for a loss. I think he's just he's just too good, man. He's good enough that once he figures out where he should be, he's just going to destroy people. And I think, I don't know if this will be like a coming out party, but he is one that I would look at because it's like, when a game gets close, you rely on a your senior leadership, right? You know your your J.R. Reeds, your Jake Fromms, your DeAndre Swifts, and B you rely on the most talented players on your team. Yeah. Right now, Nolan Smith is one of the five, six most talented players on this team. Mm-hmm. Right? And I just think this is going to be a time where we're like, oh hell, he's a freshman, huh? <laughs> and then that was actually a Ryan Clark original uh, over under ask. My my last over under for the game is Notre Dame's total havoc plays on the day. I'm going to say 8.5. I think that might also be a Ryan Clark over-under. 8.5 total happy place. Yep. So it really comes down to, I think, the secondary. How much is the secondary actually being uh, a thing? I'm going to say under. And I think this will be more of a ball game than we want it to be. Not that it's going to go poorly, but I think that more havoc plays is more likely in this situation from Notre Dame. So I'm gonna go over. All right. So uh, my first one over under 1.5 Ian book rushing TDs. I would like to say under, I, I do see one out of him, but I don't want to see more out of him. And that's typically how I tend to answer these over unders. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to say under two, just because I think he's, um, I, I just I think that if they have any success, they'll rely on him. But I don't know if he has the speed to run past. I can see him getting one just on a goal line dive. Mm-hmm. But I don't see two. Yeah. All right. Over under 0.5 Claypool t- TDs. And that's a very that's a scary one to think about. Um, I'm going to say over. I'm, I was going to say under was my initial thought just because I said it before. UJ is very good at singling out specific players and keeping them from being effective. And I think that. This is, I think that in order to win this game, Notre Dame needs to play to their success rate and play to their tight ends and their running backs and to Ian Book more so than trying to beat our corners. I do see a scenario where 
you know, one of our younger cornerbacks gets beat by Claypool potentially. But I, I'm hoping that doesn't happen more so mm-hmm. than it thinking that it does, if that makes sense. So I'm going to go under, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. It's hype. We come in. The house is rocking. First couple of drives, we have a couple of big plays. House gets rocking. I think Notre Dame's got the talent to cool the house off a little bit, just in the sense that, you know, Ian Book springs a big run or something, right? I think it's pretty close at the end of the first quarter. It might be like 14 to 7, you know? Four, seven seven ten seven right they're 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 a good team so i i, I don't think that this is a game that we're going to blow out mm-hmm. i think we might you know keep it close until halftime or be up three or four points like i can see this game going into halftime at like 17 14 i just really you know one of the things we observed last year and especially the year before is that if you looked at success rate by quarter that uga just tended to dominate teams coming into the first and the third quarter when they could make adjustments this is particularly true in 2017 and so I think that this might be a third quarter where we just bury them where like we come out in the third quarter, we hit a couple of shots, right? Like maybe we have a good, I, I could see like an early shot play like Kirby smells blood. It's like, you know, second and 10, 14 minutes left in the third, in the third quarter. And Kirby just dials up like a, I don't know, like a deep post to pickings or we, we try to spring, um, demetrius robertson on one of those little like forward what's basically like a forward screen across the middle where there's only one receiver in the route like the oklahoma screen kind of thing or we just do something like that because we smell blood and if that connects then i think that we might just bury them like not because they're not a good team but because i think that we have the talent advantage and that as the game goes on that the crowd will become a bigger and bigger and bigger issue Hmm. the longer this game is close the more the crowd will be into it so coming into third quarter, going into fourth quarter, Krypton happens, the red, right, the red lights light up, all of everybody's phone goes up. It's just this insane scene. Everybody's hyped to the gills. It in that kind of and and you know, I don't think momentum's a thing, but I do think that players respond to how the crowd acts, right? And in that kind of environment, it doesn't take many big plays from the home team for things to get out of hand. And so I think that this game is close and nerve wrapping at first, but that we end up burying them in the second half. So I'm saying 42, 21. Um, I think this is a game where I, Notre Dame has a really uncanny way of playing to like specifically to their opponent's skill level. Like even if they're less of a team like Louisville, who should have, should have had no business playing up to Notre Dame, especially in this top 10 Notre Dame uh, ranking, but they still seem to have a, a problem with them and it's something that's always a subjective narrative and it, it always ends up being kind of the the eye test narrative so to speak when you're watching Notre Dame play other teams and so I, I do think that they're going to be able to play up to this UGA team for a time uh, but I do think that conditioning comes into play by the end of this game and I think part of conditioning also takes into account what exactly you said about the environment the stadium uh, just the absolute energy I mean these players are already wearing on their energy levels now leading up to the game. I mean, you got to think about it. Like they're not just holding, they're not just in a blank room, you know, eating, uh, you know, crackers until they have to come out onto the field Saturday night. They're being, they're, they're being worn out now leading up to it. Um, and, and that is something you have to take into account when you, when you start accounting for conditioning, I feel there is no way to quantify that unfortunately but it's something i think we'll see come into play in this game i do think that the secondary will get some stops on uga but i think hot rod will clean up for us 
I do think we'll see some really neat explosive plays and maybe a few wonky, silly stuff that uh, James Coley is going to put together for us to get a few extra plays. My original prediction when I put this together, I'm still going to stick to just for the sake of kind of putting together a narrative where that compares this game to the 2017 game, uh, the 2019 game, uh, 2017, but the 22-19 score game uh, and make this a 30 to 20 UGA win. Don't beat the spread, okay. but it's a weird score just for the sake of telling the story. <laughs> I think that's great. So we got to fly through these because we're are almost at two hours right now. Oofa, so doofa, doofa. So we're, now we're going into our favorite sav- segment of the show. I missed said that last time we did that. <laughs> so our favorite segment of the show, Ask CBC, starting with Irk Russell, a, uh, a long-time two-day uh, Patreon supporter. <laughs> Kirby only allows his coordinators to talk to the media once a year, yet during weekly TV broadcasts, announcers all have an, all these new quotes from them. Do they get to talk to the TV announcers each week, or do they make it up for the show? Uh, they do, actually. They in production meetings um oftentimes they will have the whole coaching staff there and then also many times especially connected broadcasters will sit in on coaches meetings and so they they you know they agree not to release anything mm-hmm. early but they they have that information and so if they think it's something that won't burn their source right so if if they think it's something that won't piss kirby off they'll say it yeah there's also a lot more that All goes right. on in the in like behind the scenes that you even know of like just certain forums and certain folks that, that talk behind the scenes. Oh too. yeah. 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 There, there's a lot of, there, there are some websites on the internet, which will remain nameless that are not like rivals or 24 seven where people are just kind of shooting the breeze. And I think they're plugged into those, mm-hmm. uh, PB York. Uh, this is, uh, even if the curse isn't real, do you want Corso to pick this, right? <laughs> the 2013 versus LSU. Don't pick us. It was hilarious. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Which also I mean, ties into care. another question too. Yeah, I mean, so Bank or Kyle Nab or Bank asked if the Curso course is the Corso curse is real and whether or not we should want him to pick us. My whole thing is like it's not real. He's just bad at picking, <laughs> and it won't affect the outcome of the game because he's an idiot. Uh-huh. And so yeah, sometimes he picks the wrong way, and you're like, oh, he shouldn't have picked us. Well, it's because he sh- he picked the worst team because he's bad at his job, mm-hmm. right? Anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. Uh, Austin right. S asks, I feel like Kirby's typical game plan is to run it down the other team's throat four to five yards at a time. But at this point in the season, UGA is averaging 8.74 yards per play, good enough for third in the nation. Notre Dame, on the other hand, is averaging 7.8 yards per play, putting them outside of the top 10. I know we've been playing much weaker opponents, but is that all there is to it? Or is UGA more explosive this year? And will Saturday's game reflect that? I don't, I think anecdotally, I can tell you that UGA is more explosive this year, but I don't know that we can really make a, decl- de- make a declaration of that mm-hmm. at this point. I do think we'll see a little bit to, to maybe better kind of flesh that out, but we'll see. Um, next question is something that you're probably going to have to explain to those that aren't red coats. So Sam Rents, this is from Sam Rents. Do you all have any suggestions for They Ain't Ready this season? <laughs> so Sam Rents runs a YouTube channel called They Ain't Ready where he just like wrestling intro style like goes off about how not ready the opponent is my suggestion sam and i know this is not your personality my suggestion is to just go hard into like the pro wrestling heel thing like put somebody in a notre dame shirt and like people's elbow them or like drop like a a, like a a cold stone cold stunner on them you know i'm into that uh this is from abby vincent key what poem or song would you best describe your feelings about this upcoming game against Notre Dame? I think this, this game is all about if UGA wants it enough and if we are prepared enough. I think this game is going to come down to can UGA effectively use their talent to the point where that they can 
overcome whatever advantage, whatever small advantage that Notre Dame has. And so I would like to quote to you Invictus, which I'm doing. I can't remember who wrote it. I'm, I, I have it memorized. I can do it off the top of my head. So hold on. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears loom but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I say this. I think this kind of applies to every UGA game this year, but in particular this game. UGA is the more talented team. If they're prepared enough and they want it and they are the masters of what happens on that field, they're going to win most of the time. Next question comes from Floppy454. That's Ian. Uh, Top five biggest games in terms of hype and significance since you became a Georgia fan. And where does this one fall? Feel free to skip over the 2015 season because we know nothing of significance happened. I would say 2007 Auburn. Okay, sorry. This is not just home games. So Mm -hmm. Rose Bowl National Championship, 2007 Auburn, 2008 Alabama then um i think 2012 sec championship 2017 sec championship 2017 see i I would say 2017 i don't know man 2012 for me is that was one of my like i'm a georgia fan now but yeah notre Notre dame was the notre dame is i think at the top of that list at least in home games now it's probably third behind the sec the uh the national championship and the rose bowl Mm-hmm. This is from Ryan, and this is a question for you, so I'll keep to you up. Any suggestions <laughs> for getting my kids to go to bed before kickoff? Who do you think would have a good chance of, of a breakout night? Give me one from O and one from D. Um, I'm going to assume you mean uh, a good chance of a breakout night for putting the kids to sleep. It's going to be me. I'm going to put these kids to sleep right at 730, which is their bedtime. We're going to hit the teeth. We're going to hit the stories. These kids are going to be asleep before the game kicks off. And just for the record, Ryan is Ryan is Justin's uh, Justin's brother-in-law. Yes. So Justin will literally be putting his kids to sleep. Yes. (laughs) Ryan just came in the Discord earlier and was like, "Hey, how do I put my kids to sleep?" Justin, would you do it? And I want to think that like other people read that and thought, "Well, this is a weird thing to to ask." But yeah, uh, Yeah. that is my brother-in-law, and I will most likely be putting his kids to sleep in some form or fashion. Uh, But to answer your question, actually, breakout nights, I would love to see. Nolan Smith on defense have a breakout night. Absolutely. Um, and also, what are you reading? What's going on? Nothing. Oh, Go ahead. <laughs> I thought you were pausing. Um, and from offense, I think uh, I think this. We you talked about it last week about how DeAndre Swift. We would like to see him have a breakout night, which is kind of a funny thing to say since we already know DeAndre Swift is kind of already established as the prominent. Uh, running back and most likely uh, you know pretty high in the draft when he does eventually declare for the the nfl but i we haven't had like that like todd Gurley defining moment with like that buffalo run that kick return that 98 yard kick uh, like kickoff return we haven't had that moment for deandre swift yet this year and i'd like to see something like that from him that's a good answer ben shepherd apropos of us playing notre dame Nathan's emotional story from last week and just the fact that I study religion. If SEC football is a religious phenomenon, what religion or domination or philosophy best describes your relationship with UGA football? Uh, so I have two answers. One, mm-hmm. uh, Unitarian transcendentalism. Uh, the <laughs> transcendentalist movement. What? He it's just such a very specific answer. I love it. Yeah, I have two very specific answers. <laughs> the transcendentalist movement was, uh, you know, we think of Whitman and Thoreau, but like a lot of the teaching on the transcendentalist movement came out of the Harvard Divinity School, particularly uh, the sort of like Unitarian moment, the Unitarian 
faculty of the Harvard Divinity School. Mm-hmm. So I, I associate it with that because transcendentalism is all about um, experiential moments and being one with those around you and communing with nature. And those are all things that I really like personally resonate with me, but also like in in my UGA fandom, just sort of like being one in the moment, you know, like I have a really, I have a brain that doesn't stop moving and that's not me being arrogant. It's actually like one of the worst things about me. Right. And so UGA football is one of the few times when like, I can just sort of be, you know, I can just Uh be in this group of people and observe these things and not assign negative nor positive values to them. I mean, usually positive, right. But never assign anything negative to it and just exist in it. My second answer would be, uh, the Society of Friends or the Quakers, because, you know, the Society of Friends um, services, if you've never been to the one, they're very like egalitarian, like led by the people that are in them. You know, the preacher has sort of more of a facilitation role than an upfront t- in talking to people role. So I kind of think of like the way that UGA football discourse happens as being very egalitarian, right? You know, at this point in um, the UGA Twitter sphere, the people who have the most respect are like bloggers and lawyers and former senators, Poltarski, right? So I I feel like what we've made with Chapel Bell Curve has been very soci- society of friends, right? Mm-hmm. We've never claimed to be experts. We just, you know, we're just like people who want to talk about this thing and we're going to just sit around and talk about it. And if you're interested, you can come and like... <laughs> It never has to be anything more than that. And I think that's cool. Uh, Bryce comma at Primordial Goo. What is the best and worst restrooms on campus? The best restroom on campus, I'm not going to reveal the location of it because it is a sacred place. It's called the Executive Suite. It's located somewhere on East Campus. I'm not going to tell you where. Uh, Another very (laughs) good one. There's a new... Look, I keep up with these things. You got to. There There is a new unisex bathroom on the third floor of Park Hall that is just... Oh, chef's kiss. Because you still get that good park hall vibe, you know? And then worst, there is in the bottom of Gilbert. I think they've remodeled it. But there used to be this 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 restroom in the bottom of Gilbert where one of the stalls, you couldn't get the door open all the way. Like, it would bump up against the wall. So I'm going to go with that huh. as the worst. Uh, last question is, this is a big game. In 2007, the Redcoats learned blackout-specific songs like Paint It Black. Uh, actually, well, they, actually read, they actually read, it was back in black. Back right? in black. Any new songs for this week? No, <laughs> sorry, that's a bad answer. I mean, we're playing we're we're playing some new songs this week. I think we're going to uh, debut a couple of things, but none of them are like you know Notre Dame focused or whatever. I mean, I guess the DSRA is a is a Catholic mass, right? So that that's one probably. And that's all our questions, but we do have something we used to do last year and, and last season is before we had questions before we had the Ask CPC segment, we would read reviews that people put on the show and the same rules apply. If you want to put a review on the show, we will read it out loud on the show. And I think this is one that we have to do like a quick, like I need you to act this out for me. Uh, but it comes yeah, yeah. from somebody called I drink craft beer. So dot, dot, dot on September 11th, 2019. Do you want to read it or you want me to read it? Yeah. Uh, th- it is titled, I feel faint. <laughs> Heavens, so let me Mr. see if I get into this. <laughs> a UJ podcast with actual substance that mixes statistics analysis and is entertaining well i do declare injected into my veins <laughs> like ether <laughs> oh please sir oh please oh please um yeah so thank you i drink craft beer so i also love how obnoxious your apple name is uh very on brand top to bottom 
Do you want to give us a schedule oh, for I, the Redcoats show before we go? Don't cut this out. I don't have it yet because we're recording early in the week, but I will put it on all of our social medias. Great. All right. You want to see us out? Uh, no, we have we have James Fairfield. He did it. The madman did it. Yeah. So second week in a row, coming in in the clutch, Dr. James Fairfield. He's not a doctor yet, but we're calling him a doctor because he is this he is this podcast doctor. He is. All right, ready? I'd see him. And run down these. Here's his troll corner. Does having helmets made of real gold as opposed to polycarbon give ND an unfair advantage? No. It's not holy. Gold's so also no. very malleable. Will the Irish bring the touchdown Jesus to them to Sanford? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> uh, does the DSRA have an even stronger effect on no- Notre Dame because they are Catholic? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to just say yes. <laughs> How would you equate Feynman's sprinkler to our up-and-coming wide, uh, wide receiver core? Fine, uh, Feynman's sprinkler was this thought thought thing about like a reverse sprinkler uh like what how which way a sprinkler would move if you put it under reverse pressure underwater and until they did it there was just like this giant argument about it and then they finally did it and it like was sort of mundane and to me i would equate it to the fact that like eventually we're just gonna be like oh our wide receiver core is really good and you know what i mean and so like right mm-hmm. now we're having a lot of arguments but eventually it's just gonna be like confidence yeah they're good now. um number five jeez <laughs> run good <laughs> That's it. That's the whole question. Run good? Yes. He did it. Yes, run good. Run good. Number six, as good potters, our conversations just unrecorded podcasts. <laughs> All right. That's it. Yes, they are. Um, okay. Yeah. I'll see us out. <laughs> uh, what a way to end the show. All right. This has been Chap. Yep, it is. All right. Thank you for sticking with us the whole time, guys. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like today's show, you can support it in one of two ways. You can give us an awesome review if you haven't already, or you can subscribe to us on our Patreon and send us a little bit of money so we can have better equipment. And maybe I can find something that I can sit in that will not have me move and clack constantly. It's never going to happen short of a straight jacket, but whatever. <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the ones that I care about, uh, at Chapel Bell Curve. The best way to get in, talk to, in contact with us, full disclosure, is Twitter DM. You can also email us at shuffleblicker at gmail.com, but you might have to tag us on Twitter to get our attention on it. Uh, if you would like to hear more or read a little bit more in-depth stuff, you can find my work on SB Nation. I write a two, twice-a-week article called What Advanced Stats Can Tell Us About UGA Blank. So you will see those usually coming out Mondays and Thursdays, I think, but it's kind of flexible right now. Uh, we will catch you in this weekend, and I actually think I'm catching some of you in real life for various tailgates and stuff in the classic city. But until then, go, go dogs. dogs.